I don't dream. In my lifetime, um, I'm not Shane can vouch for this. This is not the first time this has ever come out of my mouth. I'm going to tell you this morning is true. Uh, I could probably count on less than one hand the number of dreams that I've had that I could remember. Uh, I know the mind and how that works and most of the time you dream uh, when you sleep. But for whatever reason, God has made me in such a way um, that I don't ever remember ever having a dream um, I've, me and Shane has talked about this because she has these vivid vivid dreams it's like a movie I mean you could write them things down and have a novel and I mean she can remember like the minute details of, of that thing and, um, you know I've, I, what I've said hundreds of times I'd love to have a nightmare just one time just to see what it's like um, but I also said it probably got something to do with pure conscience <laughs> when I lay down I can go to sleep I don't know about that but about a week ago I had over the period of two nights a couple of dreams that were very vivid that I do remember and I, one of them um I'm sure had something to do with what we've been preaching through in Genesis with the life of Joseph. The other one, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to tell you both of them because y'all need to smile. I was in the hospital and I was laying in the, standing in a wall of a hospital and this man was poking something in the side of my chest. And I said, you're killing me. And he said, I'm not killing you. I'm trying to get a heartbeat. I can't get one. You're dying. And for a split second in the dream, it was like, you know, that feeling when there's fear rushes. And I mean, your stomach drops. And I mean, that instinctual response that goes way deeper than what we can actually think. I mean, just bam, it's there. Blood pressure up. Sugar levels. But then immediately, following that was peace and I looked at the man and I said well these worst things can happen to a man than dying amen the second one was this and I'm sure this had something to do with a book I've been reading uh, and people I've been listening to because uh, one of the people that I listened to kind of uh, told a story similar to this but uh, back when I was a late teenager I was in the Marine Corps I used to read these books don't have time to read them anymore but you've seen the like books where there'd be dragons and elves and dwarfs and all of these things like you know well I'd read those kind of books and um, so anyway I'd been downstairs cleaning up the basement and I found some of those old books that I used to have and I just kind of looked at them and then put them back tried to straighten them up put them in a box and put them up to help Shane out clean up a little bit well that night I had this dream uh, that I was talking to God so here it is in the span of just a couple of nights go 46 years ain't had a dream that I can remember and I got two that stand out and so, vis so vivid 
And God said, I, I got something I want you to do. And so I said, all right, God. And next thing you know, I find myself. Now, here I am. I've been looking at these books in this dragon's lair. And God takes me in there. And then he shuts the door and he walks out. And the door locks. Well, then the next thing you know, the dragon sees me. And I'm in a fight for my life with the dragon. And I'm going to tell you, scary. If you've ever had a nightmare, well, I can't say I've never had one now because that was. Well, I fight and I fight and I fight and it seems like hours, maybe even days, I don't know, go by uh, in the dream. Uh, you know, however long a dream lasts, I'm not uh, some scientist that studied them that much, but in, it seemed like so much time and that's the point of death and then back and then to the point of death and back. But eventually... I was able to defeat the dragon. Well, then the door unlocks and God steps back in. And I said, what's up, God? Why'd you bring me in here and put me with this dragon and that thing breathed fire on me and I like to die and I've had to go through all this trial and all this struggle uh, for all of this time. I thought you was on my side. He said, oh, I am. The reason I left you in there is because I knew you could win. Let me read you something. Genesis chapter number 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him in the hands uh, of the hands of Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. God, why did you let my brothers turn against me and throw me in the pit? Because I knew you could win. God, why did you let me get sold into slavery down there in Potiphar's house? Because I knew you could win. God, why did you let that woman accuse me? And the next thing you know, I found myself in prison. Because I knew you could win. You see, my friends, when Jesus died on the cross, God set in place a winning strategy for all of those who would choose to follow Him. And regardless of the circumstances that we may presently find ourselves in, God is working out all things together for the good to those who love Him. We see that more probably than anywhere in the Bible in the life of Joseph. If you'll remember last week we started this message, well, I'm going to tell you this. We was down at the hospital yesterday to visit Jalea. And of course, you know, they had told her she's going to be in the hospital for two, three days after the surgery. And praise God, it went well. And they let her come home yesterday, the day after uh, the surgery. But Shane had said, well, we won't see you tomorrow. 
she was in quite a bit of pain, and uh, but she was doing good. They was going to let her come home. And Jalea said, oh, you might. I might just come tomorrow. And Shane said, no, you better stay at home. She said, no, I want to hear the rest of that message. Keith started last Sunday. I said, praise God. That's the best compliment a preacher can get. Amen. Shane said, no, you better stay at home. Well, finally... My brain got the better of me, and I said, yeah, Jaleel, you're probably better off staying at home and not being there tomorrow. Uh, but we started this last week. We talked about Joseph and how his integrity was maintained through the midst of all that he finds himself going through. And we talked about what integrity really means. And I want to read that to you again. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, but also the state of being whole and undivided. So we could say something like this. Integrity is uh, when our professed worldview lines up with what happens or what takes place or our actions as we live out our life. We see that in the life of Joseph. Integrity is personal honesty, acting in harmony with our core beliefs at all times. We talked about several ways that this chapter shows us that in the life of Joseph. And we first talked about Joseph's integrity of worldview. We didn't get through that last week and we may end up not getting through it today. I don't know because I want to really talk about that and from this passage uh, 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 bring that out because it's so important as we live out our lives like Joseph that we have an integrity of worldview where what we say and what we do, how we conduct ourselves in relation to the world, the people around us and God is in alignment with what we profess to believe and what comes out of our mouth. That's what we see in the life of Joseph. In verses 1 and 2, the Bible says he was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And we talked about uh, that Moses wrote Genesis. And it was a past, this story was passed on in the oral tradition. And it got down to Moses. And the reason that we understand and know that the Lord was with Joseph was because that's the way Joseph told the story. Joseph understood that even while he was going through this, in the midst of being sold into slavery where he had no rights, where he had uh, nobody that he could call out to, that God was with him and God was asking or God was working things out for the good of Joseph, but not only for the good of Joseph, so that his plan could be brought to fruition. Joseph was in that family where the Savior would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would one day die on a cross uh, for the sins uh, of the world. So today, as we look at this, and we're talking about integrity of worldview, uh, that question, and I brought this up, people ask it oftentimes, why does bad things happen to good people? And I've said this, one of the easiest ways to answer that, show me a good person, and I would possibly make an attempt uh, to answer that question. But since the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and therefore need a Savior, then really that's not the right question to be asking. Um, but when we see bad things happen to good people, 
uh, it does challenge our worldview. But if you think about this, Joseph being sold into slavery, uh, nowhere do you see Joseph being bitter. Nowhere do you see Joseph getting angry. And in a sense, when you ask that question, why did this happen? Why do bad things happen to, uh, to good people? I think in some way it's related to that dream. You see, God let Joseph go down there and be sold into slavery. Why? Because he knew he was going to win. God let Joseph go down there and be sold into slavery because he had looked out through time, uh, through space, around the corners, in places that we cannot see. We may not even dream that they exist and understood that there was a famine coming over in Canaan later on and that his people would need food. So Joseph needed to be down there in place running things so that the people of God could be fed when they were hungry. So Joseph, if he'd have said something like, God, why'd you let all this happen to me? God would have said, because Joseph is on my team and I knew you was going to win and I was going to need you someday to fulfill my plan. That's why when I brought out last week this thing about modern day child rearing, right? And how I'm so against this uh, thing about stranger danger and why I'm so against this safe space thing, uh, and I brought out that about, you know, Abraham being 75 years old. And, and basically God's first command to Abraham was, Hey, Abraham, you're 75 years old and you're still living in your daddy's house. Get out there and face the world and do something. Yeah, it's going to be dangerous. And yeah, you're going to have to go into the unknown. And you're going to meet a whole lot of strangers, Abraham. But you're going to have to deal with them because I've got a plan for you. And as long as we're willing to take the safe route and, and, and stay right in our little holy huddle, then God can't ever use us for the plan that he's got in store for us. So he had to get Joseph out from Jacob's house, send him down there into slavery to get in the Potiphar's house so that he could begin to make come to pass that plan that he had uh, for Joseph. In a sense, he was saying to Joseph, you got this thing, big boy. You just keep trusting me. Now, when that happens to us, we've always got two choices. We can take the root of Cain and get bitter and blame everything on God. Or we can have an integrity of worldview and say God's working all things out for the good to those who love Him and He's got a plan in this and He's working it out and I'm just going to simply be faithful and take what comes and trust that no matter what things happen in the short term, God's got a plan for the long term and I'm going to stay faithful to Him. When the money's good and the promotion comes and the kids are healthy, the in-laws are nice, it doesn't take a lot of faith for the Christian to say, God's in control. What a mighty God we serve. But when the refrigerator's empty and the money's tight and the bills ain't getting paid and the kids ain't listening and mom-in-law's causing you trouble and, and you name the infinite number of problems that can come our way, the world's full of tragedy. Then and then the integrity of our worldview is tested. Do we really believe that God is in control? We see that. If we truly believe God is wise, we'll trust His purpose in creation. We'll believe that a world with free, free will creatures is the best possible world, even though such creatures have the ability to sin. If we believe that God is wise, we will not attempt to criticize or judge what He brings to pass or allows to happen, especially in view of Romans 8.28. Only someone who is wiser than God has a right to sit in judgment upon His providence.
Joseph had an integrity of worldview, but not only that, he had an integrity of responsibility. You see, look what the Bible says here in verse number 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master's wadeth not. He don't know what uh, is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, thou, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And integrity of responsibility. You see, Joseph, the Bible says here, was a good-looking young man. Uh, verse number 6, And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. So the, what happens is, the Potiphar's wife, she sees Joseph. She's attracted to Joseph. Joseph's a good-looking young fella. So she says, hmm, we've got time on our hands, Joseph. It's me and you down here at the house. Let's do something together that God wouldn't approve of and Potiphar wouldn't approve of. But I want it to take place, Joseph, and I want it to take place in the here and now. And because Joseph not only had an integrity of worldview, God's in control and he's working out a plan. So he didn't have to do the wrong thing to make his life better in the present because he had a long-term view of what God was doing. He also had an integrity of responsibility. He did what was right in the face of immediate circumstances that may contradict his worldview. You know, Joseph could have been pretty well off if he'd have went along with Potiphar's wife. She was rich too. She had power too. She could have made Joseph's life very comfortable not uh, taken away from the immediate sexual gratification that Joseph would have got if he would have given in to her request. But Joseph had an integrity of responsibility. First, there was one to Potiphar, his master. The Bible says right here that Joseph uh, refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master don't know what is with me in the house, and my master's committed all that he had to my hand. Uh, verse number 9, There's none greater in this house. My master has given me great responsibility. I run it all. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I then do this great wickedness against uh, my master? So it would be an have been a betrayal against his master, the one who employed him. Now, as Christians, we claim that we follow Christ. How many of us betray our master every day when we go to work? With our time, our talents, our energy. You see, Joseph understood that if he was going to maintain an integrity of worldview, he must also maintain an integrity of responsibility to those people around him. I understand that it was unjust that Joseph had a master. The Bible doesn't speak to the injustice. It just simply talks about where Joseph finds himself. And it may be bad and unjust down there where you work, but we have to maintain an integrity of responsibility towards those that God has allowed to be over us in our life if we're going to have an influence on the world. That surrounds us. Boy, it got awful quiet in here when I started talking about that. What's that mean? That means we ought to do uh, and try to make our boss look as good as we possibly can under the worst possible circumstances for the glory of God. Not for the glory of the boss, but so we can maintain that integrity as we're going through this life, realizing and understand that God's on the throne and He's in control. 
not only towards his boss, but towards his God. The Bible says in verse number 9, there's none greater in this house than I. He hadn't kept anything. Now he's speaking of Potiphar. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Every day of our life, we're faced with choices. Are we going to do what God wants us to? Or are we going to uh, make things more comfortable for ourselves in the short-term view? And you see, Joseph understood that when that choice confronted him, when that choice was right there in front of him, he was much better off choosing to be faithful to God and maintaining his integrity of responsibility uh, than um, uh, giving in uh, for a short-term gain. But not only that, he maintained his integrity of responsibility to Potiphar's wife as well. You see, the worst thing that could have happened for her is for Joseph to give in. And Joseph understood that by standing strong and standing firm on what thus saith the Lord, that while it may make her mad, it may cost him in the short term. She may turn on him, and he may have just made an enemy. Apparently that's true, because the next thing you know, uh, he's uh, in prison, that the best thing that could possibly happen for Potiphar's wife was for him to maintain that integrity of responsibility towards her. You've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it one more time. Hopefully it'll sink in. Matter of fact, I ain't going to quit saying it after today. I had a good friend named Ron Dabner. used to work with him. You've heard me talk about Ron. One of the smartest men I ever knew. Ron used to tell me this, Keith, you tell people a lie, they'll love you to death. You tell them the truth, they'll hate you. See, Joseph well understood that, and he's willing to pay the cost. And my friends, we're living in a world today where the truth will get you crucified. You tell the truth in the face of what all the experience of the world says. And I'm going to tell you, there'll be people turn on you. There'll be people in the church turn on you. And when those people in the church, I'm going to tell you what, this what Potiphar's wife did is nothing new. It's been going on since the beginning of time, and it's going on today. So I'm going to give you a for instance. Somebody comes to me and say, Keith, i got this situation going on. Uh, what's your opinion about this thing? So I open up my, my Bible, and I read what my Bible says, and I say, okay, here's what God says about the matter. So I guess that's what my opinion on that matter is. Well, that ain't what I wanted to hear. Well, I'm sorry, that's not what you wanted to hear. That's what does say the Lord. That's what you needed to hear, whether that's what you wanted to hear or not. Well, I want a different opinion from you. Well, you can't get a different opinion than me I, from me because I serve God, not man, and I'm going to be faithful to God, not man, and I'm going to tell you the truth regardless of what you want to hear. Well, get out of my house then and don't you ever come back. You ain't much of a preacher then. And the worst thing ever happened to the Oak Hill communities when you come up there to Zion Baptist Church and started telling them people the truth. And I'm going to work every way in my power to see you dead and gone. Well, that's what Potiphar's wife did uh, to old Joseph when he told her the truth and stood firm on the Word of God. And listen, we must be ready for that to take place with us because in the end, it wasn't Potiphar's wife sitting on the throne. It was Joseph sitting on the throne because he stood firm in the face of opposition. Now, what happened after that? Well, then she started working behind the scenes. And listen, those people that you tell the truth to get mad at you, they know the truth's coming from the Word of God, but it's caused them pain and they want to hurt you. So what do they do? They start working behind the scenes and they start telling people things and they start trying to hurt the person that told them the truth. And uh, they're going to do anything in their power uh, to make that happen. But I got something to say. When we stand firm on the Word of God, God's on the throne and it may look like things are rough in the 
moment. And it may look like things are not going our way. But He's working all things together for good to those who love God and those that are called according to their purpose. So you say, Keith, you just told us this big long story about yourself. How's that apply to me? There's going to be people down there at the schoolhouse and at the job. And there's going to be people in your home and in the community. They're going to ask you questions and you're going to have to stand on the Word of God. And when you stand on the Word of God, it's going to fly in the face of all the experience, maybe all the experts and the psychologists and the psychoanalysts and all that people tell them what's right in this world. But what's right and what's wrong is told us in the Word of God and that's the only place we can go to. So as you stand firm on that and don't give in, God will be glorified and ultimately it will work out for your good. So you say, Keith, are those people your enemies? Are they my enemies? No, they're to be pitied. They're to be pitied and told the truth in the hopes that the truth will break free and set them free. So as God's people, we've got to be like Joseph and maintain that integrity of responsibility and not get angry but simply stand up for the truth and trust that what God is working out will be for our good and for His glory. I will say this though. As Christians, it is our responsibility that when we see that going on in the house of God, we don't listen to it, don't attach ourselves to it, but we nip that thing in the bud and say, I'm going to stand on what thus saith the Lord. Do you realize today there's churches all over our nation today that are letting opinion and modern culture dictate what they believe? It's happening. And it looks pretty good for the short term. There ain't nobody outside the doors of the church protesting. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says one day in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. The graves are going to come open. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and then we'll be asked the question, did you stand on the truth or did you give in for the short-term benefit? You see, that's what Joseph wasn't willing to do. He stood, maintained his integrity in his personal relationships. And in his relationship with God. I'm going to close with this. Joseph maintained an integrity of identity throughout this whole process. I want you to understand something this morning, church. Listen to what happened. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. She had laid a trap. And she called him by his garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. Now, we understand because we're outside of the story uh, with the writer of the story looking into the story that she's telling a bald-faced lie. 
those men that came into the house, though, they don't have the luxury of being where we are and they don't know what's going on. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought me unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I had lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. Well, you know, your wife tells you that somebody just tried to rape her. That generally make a husband mad. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Right here's the key. Remember I told you who was telling this story. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. You see, Joseph maintained his integrity of identity even through the worst accusation that could possibly be made against a person. You see, he had told her the truth. He said, I'm not going to sin against God. This is a sin against God. It's a sin against Potiphar. It's a sin against you. It's a, it's a sin against my own conscience. So I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And she didn't like that. So therefore, she began to work and devise a plan to destroy Joseph. And the next thing you know, the whole world, the, the culture, the people around Joseph, his friends, and even those in authority over Joseph... Uh, when they looked at Joseph, they didn't see a young little Hebrew boy uh, that had uh, just been trying to serve the Lord. They saw a man who had tried to take a woman by force and sexually assault this woman. And it was based off of her story. So they were trying to give Joseph an identity that was different than what was reality. But in and through it all, Joseph maintained his integrity of identity and understood that he was a child of God. And that God was with him. And God was working out a plan in his life. You see, you and I have got to do the same. You see, Potiphar's wife may not be accusing me. Potiphar's wife may not be accusing you. But somebody is. You say, oh, I don't know of a single solitary soul that's uh, uh, trying to accuse me this morning. Oh, that's okay, but the Bible says that uh, Satan is the great accuser. So Satan this morning is standing uh, before God trying to accuse you and bring up all your past, all your present, what you may do in the future and saying, God, this person's not your child. This person's not acting like a child of God. Look at what they did last week. Look what they did yesterday. Let me go ahead and tell you what they're going to do tomorrow. They're going to mess it up as well. And somebody, if nobody other than Satan himself is standing before the throne accusing us, of being not who we really are. Well, who does the Bible say that we are? Well, it gives us some answers anyway. Matthew chapter number 5, the Bible says, I'm the salt of the earth and so are you. It also says we're the light of the world. John chapter 1, we're children of God. Romans chapter 8, we're co-heirs with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, we're a part of Christ's body. 
2 Corinthians 5, we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, you were reconciled to God. I'm a saint, I'm a holy person, I'm God's workmanship and so are you. We're citizens of heaven, we're righteous and holy. We're chosen by God, we're the children of light, we're royal priesthood. Listen, we've been adopted into the family of God, given the greatest place of privilege before Him. And no matter what the world may say about us, no matter how much Satan accuses us, because I'm going to tell you something, Satan standing before God Almighty. It might be a person accusing you this morning. Listen, all of uh, everything on earth might be working against you. The car might have start, not have started this morning. Your kids might have cussed you out. Your husband might have walked out the door. You might have got a call from a doctor saying it don't look too good. I want to tell you something. There's a man named Jesus who's standing before the throne of God this morning. And he's saying, I know it looks bad down there on that person. I know they made some wrong decisions. And I know... Uh, They've done some things that make you may not look you make you look so good, God. But I want to tell you something. Look, I stand before you this morning, Father, and I want to show you these nail scarred hands and all the punishment and all the uh, the wrath of heaven that would be poured out upon sin. God, look at these things. I took it upon myself. And, and that old accuser over there, listen, don't you pay no him no attention. He's been accusing since the beginning of the world. He even tried to accuse Jesus, did he not? The Bible says that I speak to you these words in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom of God, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's all that mean? It means that while Jesus was hanging up there on the cross, Satan was saying, God, he deserved this. He deserved this. He's getting exactly, he wasn't perfect. Listen, he didn't do a good job. He didn't do your whole will, God. That's why he's hanging up there on the cross. And he didn't struggle. He didn't fight against it. He let them take him down from that cross. And he let them put him in the grave. And old days getting everything together. And they was making uh, stuff to put on his body so that thing wouldn't stink. And they was making linen cloths. And they was getting things ready for the funeral. And on that Sunday morning, that's exactly what they got. They went over there to do. They was going to go over there and they was going to anoint his body so that thing wouldn't start stinking. They're going to get everything ready so that they can have their morning procession and all of that and everybody whine and cry around. But guess what? The grave was empty. None of the preachers. You know what? If Satan had known that that grave was going to be empty, he'd have been grabbing Jesus' feet going up that, cross, up that hill called Calvary and he'd have been saying, Please, Jesus, don't you get on that cross. Don't get on that cross. He'd have been getting the whole forces of hell together to stop Jesus from going up that hill getting on the cross. But he didn't understand when he saw Jesus on the cross that on the third day the tomb was going to be empty and the Son of God was going to be alive again never to die on a cross again as a matter of fact never to die and he don't understand this morning as you're sitting here that no matter what comes against you that God's got a plan and he's working that plan out and while it may listen that person may be accusing you this morning but if Satan knew what God was doing behind the scenes he'd grab that person by the hair of the head and he'd say you better leave them people alone because it ain't going to work out too good for you because God's on their side and he's on our side this morning church so we can rejoice Good gracious, I got excited about that. Amen. Nothing in this world can come against the child of God. Listen, they could launch every nuclear missile on the face of the earth and target Zion Baptist Church this morning. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, ain't going to keep you out of heaven. I was talking about that this morning, about 
some people want to be buried, some people want to be cremated, and some people say you ought not be cremated because you don't want to burn your body and make that thing into a bunch of dust. And I said, it don't matter to me whether they cremate me or put me in the ground because there's coming a day when God will put me together the first time is going to put it all back together again and it's going to be a body that never gets sick or never grows old. And church, in the face of all that's around us, all the evidence that may be out there. I believe there's enough evidence that God is real, that He became flesh and dwelt among us, that we can maintain our integrity towards Him, towards each other, no matter what takes place in this world. You see, my relationship and your relationship with God is going to stand forever if we're a child of God. And all this stuff, just noise in the background is going to pass away and be no more. And when we look at our time here on this earth in light of that, then it makes the decisions that we are forced to make while we're here that much easier to make. I understand the evidence sometimes seems to be overwhelming. But I believe, just like we've already said this morning, when we remember that Jesus got up, then the body of evidence that we should maintain our integrity before God overwhelms the body of evidence to the contrary. And also, I want to say this. All I've just said, and there was a whole lot does not apply to you unless you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now all over America this morning, and I don't want to say that there's not, there's going to be places where people are said, are going to be told they must receive Jesus as Savior. And that's true. But it's not the whole truth. We must receive Him as Lord and Savior. So why are there so many people running around today that claim Christianity but nothing in their life would indicate that? It's because they received Him as Savior but not as Lord. And you see, the Bible is very clear that Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's Lord? Well, that's an authority figure. Lord is the person in charge. So when I receive Christ as Lord, I must be admit to myself that I'm no longer in charge of my life. I'm no longer responsible for the outcome of my life. But He's responsible. He's in charge. And I submit my life to Him to do with it as He will. I believe that sounds a lot like Joseph. That's why you can be down there in prison, get accused of rape, uh, be sold into slavery and not get angry about it, but still remain faithful because He had a Lord who was ultimately in charge. So if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you say, well, right, I'm a little confused about that, Keith. How do you know? Well, ask yourself, does my life look 
like I've received Jesus Christ as Lord. If it does, praise the Lord. Let's rejoice. Everything I just said applied to you. If it does not, then you've not received Jesus Christ as Lord and you need to do something about that and let him be your Lord and Savior today. Now, you remember I've been saying this and I promise I'll hush after this. What comes out of our mouth is not always an accurate predictor of what we really believe. But what we act out in our life is always an accurate indicator of what we really believe. So don't look and don't think about what you say or what you feel. Look at what you've been doing and how you've been living. And if that lines up with being a Christian, praise God, church, let's rejoice this morning. Heaven and earth passing away, but we're going to endure forever. But if not, then you need to do something about it this morning and receive Jesus. You say, Keith, what do I do? Well, simply receive Him as Lord. In faith, believe that Jesus died for your sin, rose from the grave, conquered it on your behalf. Admit that you've sinned and you've done wrong and say, now I'm going to do it your way, God. That's called repentance. That's called turning the other way. Receive Him as Lord. That doesn't mean you're always going to get it right, but it does mean He's always right. And we begin that process of Him helping us live it always right and simply begin to follow Him. That's what it means to become a Christian. Not perfect following and becoming what God wants us to be. Church, let's stand. Christian, I believe this morning would be a good a time as any to come down here and say, thank you, God. I know we're living in a world that's rough and we got this, this election and people's going crazy all around us and acting like the world's coming to an end. I want to just thank you that I don't have to worry about none of that mess. You're on the throne this morning and everything's going to be all right. If you're here and you've never received Christ, I wouldn't let anybody or nobody or uh, however many people are here this morning stop me or embarrass me. I'd come and I'd throw myself on the altar. You'd come to me and say, I want to be saved. I want to uh, submit my life to the Lordship of Christ. And uh, you just come and in faith do that this morning and you can leave a new creature. Whatever the Lord says, whatever the Lord says to do, you do it. Be obedient this morning to what thus saith the Lord. Ain't it amazing that you can have a message like that and then next thing you know, be laughing your head off. <laughs> Listen, we're God's children and we can have fun in the house of God and understand and realize that uh, He's on our side. All hearts and minds clear. Remember, I hope, because I'm bad to forget what I said at the beginning of the service. We've got these papers down here, church. I need you to help me with this. Everybody in here, probably, if everybody will take a look, will know somebody on this list. And we want to be able to reach out to these people with the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, so you come down, you take a look at these. If you know one of these people, you write their name, write your name beside of it. And then we're going to do our best to try to, with your help, uh, to reach out to them. Remember, Shane and me's not going to be here tonight. You're going to hear a real preacher tonight. Cameron, praying for you, my brother, and proud of you. Church, I love you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're still on the throne. You're still changing uh, lives and hearts. 
And God, we just trust that no matter what we see going on around us, you're still in control. Help us to live in that victory of the empty grave in Jesus' name. Amen.